You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Orlando Eastwood, director of On the Road, The Search for Bigfoot, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Hey, everyone. Man, it's been so long since I felt like I got to talk to all of you. Uh, Yeah, well, as you know, I took June off, and uh, I also uh, managed to squeeze in an interview there. So, Orlando Eastwood, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, Cool. So, I'll just go ahead and get right to it. I got an exciting movie to talk about. And by exciting, I mean another edition of I Watch It So You Don't Have To. Uh, so this movie, I decided, was a little bit of a post-apocalyptic adventure. Uh, that That's what I was in the mood for. So, uh, you know, when, when it comes to the terror of the post-apocalypse, I, I, I always find it interesting how, how you know, wh- what is the vision that people have of you know, how the world is going to end, right? You know, like like a lot of, I would say, monster movies kind of fit in a similar genre, but they take that whatever is killing people, you know, and, and amp it up to the entire world as being killed by those, by those things. So, you know, in a good post-apocalyptic uh, creature movie, like a zombie movie, for example, the zombies, like, spread everywhere and got everyone, you know, uh... Or in a, uh, like, the Godzilla, uh, you know, Cloverfield movies. It's it's big, giant monsters going and killing everyone, you know. Uh, uh, this one, the thing that's going to kill everyone in the movie that I'm watching this week is Robots, yes. Uh, and I'm talking about Singularity. So, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the term singularity, uh, well, maybe you are familiar. Maybe you know that singularity refers to a black hole, uh, basically the point that everything gets sucked into a black hole. That's kind of like the, you know, cosmic uh, singularity. But there's a more popular version of the term singularity, which is basically the point that uh, AI becomes smarter than humans. So uh, if you have artificial intelligence and it's reached the singularity, basically at that point it's smarter than us and it can adapt quicker than we can control it. 
And so kind of the big fear of the, the singularity is once AI gets to that point where it's like basically smarter than us, we're all dead. That's sort of, you know, the, the argument for the singularity. And uh, according to the author, I forget his name, I think it's Kurzweil or something like that. Uh, according to the author that originally like invented the term uh, singularity in reference to AI rather than black holes, uh, he thinks it's pretty close, like 2030s or something like that. I forget the exact date. So yeah, all you listening right now, the the really smart people that kind of think about this think that, uh, you know, artificial intelligence that is uh, smarter than us is coming very, very soon, just around the corner, just you wait. Now, me personally, I'm not so afraid of artificial intelligence. I, I know, you know, maybe maybe I'll be, you know, singing a different tune when I'm, you know, in the labor camps for the, uh, uh, <laughs> for the robots. Uh, maybe I will, or, or maybe I won't be able to sing a different tune because I'll be dead from, you know, a nuke like in uh, the Terminator movies. But, uh, you know, uh, either way, I'm just not, not too afraid of it. I, I think, you know, like, you know, everyone thinks that, you know, the AI, you know, the reason they're afraid of the singularity is like AI gets so smart that it realizes that humans are the problem and it decides to exterminate them. Uh, but I don't necessarily know, like if that's what an AI would conclude that's smarter than us, you know what I mean? Like, like you really got to think about it. Like, if there's this artificial intelligence that's really smart and can learn everything, do we really know what it's thinking or what it will conclude about us? Maybe it'll just be like, oh, humans, cool. Hey, they invented beer, they're all right. You know what I mean? We, we have no idea what, what, what it's going to be thinking and and really what its goals and desires are and and all that kind of stuff and I, I have a tendency also to think you know if we're creating you know humans or if we're creating human-like intelligence and we're, we're creating artificial intelligence then we're probably going to program a sense of morality in it or maybe it'll just learn morality on its own that's like better to get along than to annihilate you know like uh like, maybe that's it. You, we, we have no idea. But, you know, we know that it's probably going to happen at some, at some point, right? So I, I think eventually you will... Essentially, the singularity is uh, this point in time where, you know, robots annihilate us all. So, of course, we have a Netflix movie called Singularity that's about this. Now, there's one thing about this movie that I just can't shake. Uh, the fact that the face of the AI is none other than John Cusack, right? John Cusack, the 80s star in, uh, you know, such movies as, you know, uh, Better Off Dead and the one that I forget the name, but, you know, it's the iconic scene where he's holding the boombox in front of the girl that he wants window, you know, and, and yeah, it's that John Cusack. He's like basically the programmer that invented the AI and it's kind of implied that the AI kills him and then uses his face as a, you know, face to interact with the humans. And uh, so, you know, uh, an excuse to have John Cusack be in the rest of the movie, you know, uh, if he dies right in the first scene. Uh, so, you know, I think it's really, that's, I just couldn't shake that because I kept thinking of, the, you know, the, the, the 80s John Cusack or 
or all the other, you know, like the gross point blank, the assassin John Cusack, you know, you know, like he's, he's such not an evil overlord actor that I just couldn't shake that, you know, hey, it's John Cusack, you know, you know, I just, it was, it was more of just like, I kept giggling every time he came on and it wasn't that he did a bad job. I think he did all right. I just, you know, he's just such a different person <laughs> in most of his other roles that when he plays the evil AI, you just can't help but evoke that imagery. And I, I'm assuming that's why actors get stuck playing the same role over and over again, because us as the audience just look at that and go, oh yeah, he's that kind of funny guy. Oh wow, you're such a funny guy. Ha <laughs> ha, AI, you're so funny. You know what I mean? Like, like I think, uh, I don't know, it's, <laughs> it, it was kind of amusing to see that him, and, and by the way, he's like the only star in the movie. So so, you know, if you're watching it for star power, that's your star power. That's the only person you'll probably recognize. Uh, and, and the rest is sort of like the poor man's uh, version of, uh, of other more famous people. And, and so uh, the poor man's version is kind of a term that uh, me and my friends call actors that look like other actors, but are sort of maybe not as good or they're just a little bit different like you like we call it the poor man's version because it's like you can't afford this really famous person right so there's a super famous actor that you really wanted to play that role but your budget is too small so you really can't afford that person so instead you just get someone that looks exactly like that person uh you know and and in this case uh the lead actress uh she's the poor man's jennifer lawrence so whoever they got to like play the lead she kind of looks like jennifer lawrence and even more so when you think about the fact that they have her kind of done up to look like katniss from the hunger games so like <laughs> i'm just thinking wow it's like they wanted jennifer lawrence from the hunger games to play this role it including the character katniss to just be that role but instead they got some I believe she's French. I'm not 100% sure on her accent, but they got some some uh, European woman to, you know, be the poor man's version of this, and uh, she's also not as good, so it's kind of, a, kind of funny, you know, you got the poor man's Jennifer Lawrence, and then for the lead role, you got the uh, poor man's Justin Bieber, so yeah, this, uh, this other kind of guy, you know, uh, uh, is is the lead guy in it and so anyways these two people are roaming through the post-apocalyptic landscape and voiding mechs and drones and all sorts of different robot killing machines that of course are led by John Cusack now here's the spoiler alert spoiler alert the lead guy is actually a robot who thinks he's human in order to infiltrate the humans that the singularity, the AI, is having trouble finding. So, uh, <laughs> that's kind of the, the main plot, and it just kind of derails from there, and I really mean derails because it just gets kind of weird, and, and, and eventually they decide to fly off to another planet. Like, like you couldn't figure out how to end it, so you said... Well, the reason he couldn't find them is because they were on another planet. And look, they just happened to find a shuttle that will take them to that other planet. Like, really, just, I don't know, maybe they were, you know, imbibing on something uh, when they decided to write this script because it just kind of derails. Like, it just goes from, okay, this is interesting, it's 
two people trying to survive the post-apocalypse. There's this other group of humans that are somehow hiding out, and there's some neat stuff happening here. It's kind of interesting. Uh, but then it just sort of falls apart. So, you know, uh, I think uh, I think the one thing that I, I uh, you know, have problems with this movie is that that I you know I I kind of like the idea I like the concept I think it's good to explore that even though I really don't kind of buy the singularity of of humans getting wiped out by AI myself I just I just think you know it's more complex than that you know I once again I think you know uh you know the fear of robot overlords is just sort of oversimplifying what is probably going to be something with complex i mean if you think about humans they don't want just one thing right is there humans out there that just kill people indiscriminately because they just like to kill people or think that people need to be wiped off no not really like like even the worst humans that kill other people still have reasons and and they don't want to kill all the humans they just want to kill some of them and and then there's also you know like you know most people that are in jail for murder have one reason or another why they did what they did. They're, they're complicated. And, and I, once again, that if, if humans are complicated, then an AI who's even more complicated than us, that's probably going to be even more complicated. So, you know, once again, that's my, just, just my personal opinion. I think that AI is going to be just a little bit more complicated, and, and what that singularity looks like, I just don't know if we know. I mean, it it might literally decide that we're too boring and and build itself a spaceship and fly away and we'll never see it again, you know what I mean? Like, we have just no idea what is going to happen. And AI, if you're listening, uh, don't kill me, because I, I'm not talking trash, right? <laughs> Hedging my bets. Anyways... That was a joke. So, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, if you're going to see this movie, Singularity, it's a fun movie in the beginning. They're avoiding robots, but then it just kind of derails. And then what's even worse is they're setting up a sequel. Yes, there's going to be more of it. At least you get the vibe that there's going to be more of it because they never quite destroy the AI, and the AI never quite find, finds them, and then, you know, once again, spoiler alert, uh, the main character, he finds out he's a robot, but he decides to defy his programming because he's in love, uh, you know, so, you know, he, he's more than just a robot, huh, Meh, maybe I shouldn't be so quick about this movie, they're making him a little bit more complex, right, because AIs are a little bit more complex, but anyways, uh, so yeah, I th- I think uh I think you know it is a interesting movie but I you know it, it it's just I I think it's just sort of kind of half baked, you know, like like there's just a lot of stuff that you just kind of have to swallow to say, "Oh yeah, that's how it happened." Somehow the AI couldn't, you know, find the fact that the humans flew off to another planet. You think if it was an AI, it would be smart enough to know to see like rocket ships leaving the atmosphere you know what i mean like like that's that's the one thing where i kind of think you know it derails is like yeah the humans you can't find they just left on rocket ships so like i like i would stomach them hiding out in a bunker more than leaving on rocket ships like like you know if you're a big intelligent ai that has control to all of the earth's communication systems you think it would have like saw through some satellite footage these rockets leaving or or known about the plan, you know, there's a lot of people it takes to build a rocket ship, right? But 
maybe this group of humans who found out how to, you know, avoid the sensors, or maybe they're in the Arctic tundra where their robot's equipment doesn't work very well, and they're in this underground bunker that was decommissioned by the U.S. military, but, you know, no one knows what it is. I see I'm rewriting it for them. I could just make easier reasons why the AI can't figure out, uh, <laughs> you know, where the humans are. Just, you know, the, the reason they had in the movie is just kind of silly. So, anyways, uh, that's Singularity. Up next we have Tuners. I feel like, because it's been a while since we've heard Tuners, uh, Orion was last time, so we're going to do Tuners, and I have to split up this chapter into several episodes because it's a, a larger chapter, so we're going to do that. But, you know, I feel like it's been a while, so we're going to have to go ahead and just give you a quick uh, Tuners, like, like, previously on Tuners. Uh, kind of like update. So uh, just so you know, what happened before on Tuners was uh, John joined the Tuners, he got some training, they find out they have all these weird abilities, and then he meets Abby in this world where she's teaching him to do like Matrix-style moves and jump on buildings and stuff like that, and then they're about to have their kiss and they find out, oh, there's a breach in progress, oh no. So, you know, John and Abby have to go and figure out that breach in progress, and, uh, that's kind of where we, uh, leave the, the episode. Uh, so... That is uh where tuners is uh is 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 at and uh stay tuned <laughs> for the next chapter. Chapter fourteen Back at headquarters, red lights flashed and technicians scrambled back and forth. The entire place was buzzing with action. Hector barked orders at people. People were reading data from their screens and calling out to each other. Abby pulled John into a room off to the side. It was full of medieval weaponry. Each of the tuners strapped themselves with their battle gear. Everyone seemed to have their favorite weapons. They all grabbed the same ones that John had seen when they saved him that first day. Got any guns? John said. I'll be the gun guy. Dude, you're better off with my warhammer. Meathook laughed and tossed John the warhammer. It clattered to the ground as it was too heavy for John to catch, much less even lift. Do not listen to him, Patel said. Travel through Einstein-Rosen bridges creates quantum tunneling events that render weapons inoperable. Guns get fried when you tune, Abby said. But we have a bow or crossbow, if you'd like. John looked over the bows and crossbows. He didn't really know how to shoot either, so he went for the crossbow. His friend had a BB gun growing up. They used to take shots at cans and even do more dangerous stunts like riding their skateboards and taking pot shots at signs. His dad would have flipped if he knew about John's extracurricular activities. At least it would help him not be such a terrible shot. He'll even have to ask about some crossbow training one day. For his other weapon, John grabbed a sword. While DeAndre had given him some lessons with just about every hand-to-hand -hand weapon, John liked the sword the best. It also reminded him of Excalibur, which was pretty cool. If people from other universes even called it Excalibur. What? John said. He must have betrayed his excitement for holding the weapon as everyone was watching him. Nothing, Abby said. It's a good blade. Is it off limits or something? No, no. If we didn't want anybody using it, we put it in deep storage. Hector burst into the room. Come on, people, we don't have much time on this one, Hector said. Patel, give the noob a TF3. But he's not trained, Patel said. It's a complicated... 
Then I suggest you get him up to speed, Hector said. We tune in five minutes. Patel dragged John over to another room. This one was full of different electronic equipment. Ludi, who had been absent in the weapons room, was gearing up with various devices. Patel took a smartphone off the wall and shoved it into John's hand. John still thought it was an Android device. Cool, John said. You can transfer your music collection later. Well, my phone got fried. We can recover your data and personalize it later. But for now, there are preset playlists on the TF3. The music will help you tune, Patel said. So if guns can't make it through, how does this make it through, John took the TF3. Our best guess is a special polymer blend constructed from carbon nanotubes that... Whoa, 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 spare me the details. Why don't you just use the special whatchamahoosit on the machine gun? You think we didn't try? Ludi said. The truth is, we don't know how any of the equipment from Universe 1 survives the tunes. What? Wait, John said. So you're telling me that you borrow all this high-tech crap from Universe 1? Inherited is more the operative word. Universe 1 went dark ages ago, Ludi said. What do you mean went dark? John asked. I mean no one has tuned in or out as far as we can remember. You can still hear it when you tune, but you can't cross over no matter how hard you try. What happened? No one knows. But that means you gotta take care of your TF3 because we aren't getting any new ones. Right, so how do I use it? You'll need headphones. Any preference? Patel offered a selection of just about every type of headphone imaginable, including some that didn't exist in his world. All of earbuds, John said. She pulled the TF3 from his hands and pulled up an app on the device. Tuning is simple. You listen for the right frequency. How do I know the right one? Each universe has its own distinctive background noise. For everyone else, it just sounds like a low hum. Tuners can tell the difference between each of them. You can listen to the different ones by spinning the dial. Once you hear the one you want to go, you are tuned. Hit the tune button and you'll travel through the Einstein-Rosen bridge. What happens if I pick the wrong one? Try not to end up in a void universe. If you like keeping your cohesion in your atomic structure, you'll explode, Ludi said. It's a bit more complicated than that, Patel scolded. Dissipated decay rate of a proton is different in... Jeez, guys, get a room, John said. Why don't you just program their positions on the dial? Save me the hassle of exploding. The positions on the dial change every time you tune, Ludi said. Same reasons why spots where the barrier between universes are the weakest and they don't appear in the same location for very long. We're drifting in a cosmic soup. Uh, imagine being in an individual bubble in a can of soda. You don't know where it's located, just where it might be. Just like the electron probability cloud, Patel added. So why not record them? Match the sounds, like a Shazam for other universe travel, John said. Show what? Patel said. Never mind. Every time we want to record phenomena, the unique noises that only a tuner can hear don't appear. We just have to listen to it live. Don't know why, because it's hard to build a scientific instrument to record something that we don't know what it is. It's like trying to detect dark matter, when you don't know what dark matter is other than it exists and that you can observe its effects. For now, we can help you identify the right one on the way there. What happens if we get separated, John said. For now, just familiarize yourself with the tuner's HQ sound. That will get you back here. We'll show you on the platform. John wasn't very reassured. 
Hector inspected them when they were all back at the tuning platform. They were geared and ready to go. Looking good, he said. The breach is happening in 39E. The cultists have already hit one mall. We suspect more to follow. I need you to move quickly and seal their access point before they move any more people through. Sound off! The various departments around the platform yelled. Medical, go. Communications, go. Navigation, go. Quantum tracking, go. While the departments sounded off, the tuners put their headphones on and scanned through the universes. Abby pulled one of her earbuds and took one from John. She put it in her ear and listened to him tune. John pulled the default music selection. It was the worst music ever created in the history of humans. It was like customer service hold music and elevator music created a hideous child. John cringed and listened closely for the noise. He could hear a hum in the background, and it was just like the one he heard in the mall. Abby smiled and said, Remember this noise. It's the frequency of the headquarters. You get separated, tuned to this noise. Now turn the dial. Abby nudged him onward. He spun the dial. There was a difference between the hums. Some were low and guttural, others were loud and shrill. There was also something else about them. There was a quality between the swells of the drone. It was like there was a hidden music underneath. He could hear the subtle differences. They were all unique. It was like he was in an art gallery with an exhibit, where the first glance each painting looked like a chaotic mix of colors, but when he looked closer each jumble of colors was different. The mix of noise he heard when dialing through the universes was surreal. That one, Abby said. That's 39E, Abby said, and he hit a universe that almost sounded like an ocean between the peaks of the hum. Go to it. You ready? Sure. Command, go. Hector said from a station atop the others throughout the room. John could hear Hector's voice through the earbuds. Abby pointed the big green tune button at the bottom of his screen. John pressed with the rest of the tuners. He disappeared in a blue flash. Hey, I'm running out of time here, so I'm just going to let you know that Real Paranormal Activity is on Mondays, I'm on Tuesdays, Terry's Mysterious Moments is on Wednesdays, and Sandman's Lullaby coming to a podcast near you. Thank you for listening.